Episode 309, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Season 6, Episode 11, From the Ashes. Welcome to Level 7, a podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello and welcome to another episode of Welcome to Level 7, a podcast about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And that is what we are here to talk about right now is episode 11, From the Ashes, or as I refer to it in my notes, Yo-Yo and Mac and the Temple of Doom. (laughs) That laugh you just heard was Agent Samantha. Hello, Samantha. Speaking of From the Ashes, hello. It just seems like I disappeared for a while. I know it. (laughs) Yep. Like a phoenix, you arise and return and take Stuart's place because (laughs) he's not here. Uh, I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and we're both here because we really like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I think it's just getting better and better. I (laughs) really do. Every season maybe doesn't start off as the best season, but every season does get better and better as they go along. And this one started strong. And I feel like it's there's just one bit. I don't know if you listened to the last episode, Samantha. The the one bit that I really didn't like uh, last episode was when they explained Sarge's backstory. And in this episode, they get into a couple things as well that I'm just like, how does this fit? How does this work? What's the timeline here? That's a question I'm asking a lot in this episode. Have you seen all of the episodes yet for this season? I have not, actually. Okay. I've been putting it off. And that way, any any prediction is genuine. Any mistake is real. <laughs> so, OK. Um, yeah, I haven't seen the last two episodes then. So that's where we're at. Uh, and just so people know, we are behind the scenes going to be deciding if we're going to talk about the last two episodes together or not, because they were on the same evening of television, but they are not presented on Hulu or now on Netflix uh, as part one or part two it's it's presented as two separate episodes so uh we don't know what we're doing with that and then after that will be the finale of cloak and dagger <laughs> the season finale of cloak <laughs> and dagger and after that uh we'll probably be jumping into netflix and finishing that up and then doing random episodes here and there about movies as they come up and also heavy news stories if if they come up and who knows what else? I don't know. Um, because all we know for sure in the future is that Falcon and Winter Soldier is shooting now, I believe. Or they're starting very soon. But that's not going to drop with the beginning of Disney+. Plus. I'm excited about that. Uh, how how about, can you not be excited, uh-huh. you know? There's some cool stuff coming from Disney+. Plus. I just want to see the last Noah's Ark on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I want to show it to my kids. It was a TV movie about a plane that crash lands. It's like serious Gilligan's Island, but it was a Disney movie. That is one of those things. They're never going to put it on DVD. Why would they? No one's going to buy that, but they can stream it because they don't have to make physical copies of anything to stream it. It just sits on their server. That's what I'm hoping Disney plus has is, is some of the weird stuff like that, that no one cares about except for nostalgia that, you know, I, 
Well, maybe I would buy it. No, I wouldn't buy it. I did buy the cat from outer space, though. And now I'm wondering, should I not have done that with Disney Plus coming? Is that going to be on Disney Plus? <laughs> so that's why I'm holding off on buying Unidentified Flying Oddball. Is You're because just making me set this up now. <laughs> no, no, that was another one. It was uh, was it seventy seven? Might have been right at Star Wars time. It's King uh, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, uh, except it was actually about an astronaut who went back in time and and went to the the medieval times and used okay. all of his technology. You know, and they thought he was had magic because of the technology he had, and he was trying to fix his his shuttle to to get home again. Didn't they make a remake that movie like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago? And it had Martin Lawrence starring in it. I wouldn't say they remade the movie with that. They, that Martin the Lawrence concept. movie. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's court. Only it was Martin Lawrence who was, okay. who was the Yankee. I, I think if anyone could do something that would actually rival Netflix, like as a Disney. serious rival, uh, it's Disney and Disney's able to do it with just what they own. They don't need to go outside and get outside yeah. stuff. That That is true. Um, yeah. I was reading an article about Netflix has less content compared to Hulu or um, Amazon prime, but it has better quality <laughs> yeah. uh, product. So it's <laughs> still therefore more popular, but yeah. I think you're right. Disney plus would be a contender. Uh, Amazon Prime has some garbage on it. And when I say garbage, I mean, like, they'll take anything from anyone and and just put it on there. And so there's yeah. been a couple times where I got tricked. I thought, this looks like a decent sci-fi movie. And then you click on it, and you're like, someone made this with their camera phone from their flip phone. <laughs> oh, and it just was terrible. I mean, it's not quite that bad, but it's pretty close. I mean, they'll take anything from anyone and then present it as if it's as good as anything else that's there, you know, as far as when recommendations come up and stuff. So there is some really good stuff on Amazon prime. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, the reason they have more is because it's quantity, not quality. So, yeah. Um, okay. So I pulled up that movie that Martin Lawrence was in where he falls back in time. Um, so his character's name in that movie is Jamal Walker. But I think when he goes back in time, he tells everyone his name is Skywalker. I saw parts of it, but I never saw the whole thing. It was on late night one night when I came home from work, I think, like 10 years ago. Yeah, that movie um, was filmed in Wilmington at the studios where I used to be a tour guide. And um, a little fact, the castle set was actually built on top of the street where uh, in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where they come up out of the street. And right there is um, April's um, antique store. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so they tore down that street set, built up the castle. And on the tour, we were told that the the castle was so poorly built that a hurricane blew it away. But I was later talking to one of the camera guys, and he's like, no, it was just torn down afterwards. Which, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that happens. I, so, yeah. I love seeing stuff like that. I mean, we've talked about this before. Like, I was watching the making of Pet Cemetery, the first Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. And they found the perfect house to be the house for the family to live in, but they needed a really old, cool looking, um, big house across the street from it. And so they just built a house on top of and around, uh, 
the next door neighbor's house. And so it's this tiny house and they just built a, built the walls, the outside walls of this other big house on top of it and, yeah. and actually use like, um, the house itself that was standing in the middle was helping brace up these walls. And it was really, really cool the way that they did it. Like they were really, really, really clever when they did that. So. Oh, I can, I can totally believe it. Yeah. I've heard of things like that happening. All right. Well, let's talk about yeah. Agents of Anyways, S.H.I.E.L.D. Anyways, let's now. go We've into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> spent enough time chatting and uh, yeah, getting geeky, but we're going to get geeky again here pretty soon because I've got some thoughts. And Stuart's not here uh, for me to to talk Star Trek with, but you're here. You're, you're here. And so, Daniel, this Trek talk that's about to come. It's for we you. Talk, we talked about Black Knight. I mean, how often do we do, talk about that? I can honestly <laughs> say never. <laughs> All right. Well, let's push our never glasses come up. up the bridges of our noses and uh, yeah. let's talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. From the ashes. <laughs> All right. Um, I've got this split up in two. There's basically two plot lines going on. One is all the stuff with Izel and the Zephyr. And the other is the stuff on the base. And it's a fairly simple episode. Uh, as far as just what the actions are that are happening, but there's some pretty interesting character stuff going on for almost everyone. And one of the interesting things that comes up is actually Benson, who, by the way, I did look at every single line that had Benson's name in it and tried to figure out a way to um, use it as a quote at the end of this episode uh, to talk about Benson from the TV show, not from this show, but the show Benson. And oh. there wasn't a good way to do it. So no. But just to tell you a little bit, a little bit of my thought process there, a little bit of how, how we make the sausage of really awful end lines <laughs> for this, this show. So, uh, okay. So let's talk about Izel and the Zephyr then. So this episode starts out where, um, she tricks Yo-Yo by inhabiting Mac and makes it look like there was a big fight and Mac lost. And now Izel went off somewhere and Yo-Yo accidentally because Izel is really smart reveals how to get the monoliths where they need to be. And that means bringing in Benson. So they bring in Benson who comes and shows them where the monolith temple would be, which is on a ley line, just like Yo-Yo's ex-boyfriend used to say. And then she gets clever. Oh, what's his face? Keller. Yeah. Uh, but I but let's just call him. Oh, what's his face? Cause sure. I can never remember his name unless I go and look it up. Well, I do remember his name because she said his name. No, because I looked it up. <laughs> so, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, she gets clever and suggests that Keller is still alive and Benson knows he's not. So Benson realizes Mac is not who he should be. But Izel is also really clever, figures out something's up when he she does that. So then she uses the Gravitonium Sphere to bring out Benson's greatest fear. And that was that Thomas, his spouse, was conscious when they pulled the plug on him after a horrible accident. Because of that, it just breaks him down and he does show the way to the temple. But Mac and Yo-Yo then help him escape by pushing him into the uh, containment thing and then launching that out of the, the Zephyr. And that way he can go and tell the rest of the shield where to go to. So she takes them, ties them up like Indy and Marion uh, outside of the Ark of the Covenant and tries to help them or tries to get them rather to help her. And so the way she does this, this is this is kind of neat. She says, hey, uh, this is going to dig into your greatest fear. 
And they're like, you can't scare us because we're not scared of dying anymore. We've lost so many people that, you know, that's not a fear of ours. You're not a fear of ours. And she's like, no, but I know what is a fear of yours is me actually getting these monoliths back together. And so this sphere is going to make you help me by creating your worst fear, which is what I need to create these monoliths. And uh, the sphere creates Flint. Flint. It's Flint. Samantha. Their greatest fear is Flint. Because Flint uses powers to recreate the monolith in the future. I was confused about that at first. Why Flint? And then, but that that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. I was too. I Well, and I think you're supposed to be confused at first because it feels so random and out of nowhere. Or they just tried really hard to bring Flint back into the story. Yeah, it's well, yeah. <laughs> it feels so <laughs> random and out of nowhere or like you were saying, it's totally planned and, and I, not necessarily planned when they had the thing with Flint. Uh, you know, what was it? Was it last season? Yeah, it Flint, was. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So when they created Flint last season, I don't think they were planning for this moment this season, but this is yet another opportunity for them to dig into the history of the show, pull things out of the history of the show and do a nice callback to a moment from the history of the show. Oh, that reminds me about a conversation we had this evening in our chat. About what? About Davis. Oh, yeah. Okay. So yeah. Talking about episode. pulling someone in from the past. Um, so on IMDb, it lists that the actor who played Davis was an episode, season one, episode nine. Right. But I had said, hey, guys, I just saw the first appearance of Davis in season four, episode one, which is the first episode with Ghost Rider. Yeah. And I was wrong because you brought this up. But the thing is, is that it's like a blink and you miss him sort of situation. <laughs> But he's there. You, you found him. Yeah, he was there. Um, but the interesting thing about that episode, what was the name of that episode? I was do it, not remember. I can't, I can't remember. But what happens in that episode is, um, to if you can't remember, um, it's um, a young woman. She worked at this facility in Utah. Big explosion. She survives this explosion, but others don't. And the town basically hates her. And then there starts to be some sort of like telekinetic telekinesis or what appears to be turns out it wasn't her um one of the victims that supposedly died in the explosion was had been phasing in and out between our universe and either another place or another dimension which talking about ghost rider ties that right back into the story yeah well because they're talking about ghost rider in this season, which yes. was also the fun thing for me as I am rewatching these episodes with my kids is just how well they line up with the callbacks that I'm seeing in these episodes that I'm watching. Well, now, <laughs> like yeah. watching along uh, now in present day continuity, it's it's been a lot of fun. But then Davis coming from season one and then not not showing up until season four, but showing up as the same character. Yeah. I guarantee you what happened was he was hired as an extra for that season one episode. And then later, but that, that extra didn't have a name. He did say one line. Yes, sir. That's it. 
Um, but later when they brought him in for season four, he probably said, Hey, I appeared in an earlier episode and they're like, okay, great. Then you're just playing the same guy and you're picking up where we left off. So, yeah, yeah. And, but yeah. the cool thing about that is the way that they used him. Uh, so the, his first appearance in season four is, uh, yo-yo sees him and he's working with shield. And this is when, um, uh, the, the new director came along who made all the color levels and everything like that. Um, he's working for shield with that, that director and is that the, uh, the Patriot. Yeah. 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 And yo-yo comes in and says, how's your wife? And he says, getting bigger and bigger. And she says, wrong answer. He says, getting more, more beautiful or more beautiful, something like that. <laughs> but his wife is pregnant and having yeah. a kid. And then this season you have him out in space wanting to go home to be with who to be with his wife and kid. And yeah. so they set up back then some threads that they could pull on here to make his death even more tragic. And, you know, he was. I didn't want to lose him. No, no one did. No one oh. wanted to lose him. I don't think <laughs> there were people who didn't want him to go. And then there were people who didn't care about him. But there was no one who hated him. <laughs> no one who yeah. wanted to lose him. I liked the chemistry he had with Piper. And. Honestly, all of this stuff that we're talking about, though, is why yeah. why do you why would you put him on Death Watch? Because he's a character you, you like actually him. care about. He's expendable yeah. because he's not main cast. And so they can kill off this character that we've had around really since season one. Now we know this. Whereas before I thought, oh, they just they kill off a character who's been around since season four. But anyway, that is not uh, about this episode. <laughs> so that was last episode. Yeah. Right. Right. But you weren't here for your last episode. I wasn't so. there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had a. Yeah, I, I, I had to step back. I had to pull out at the last second for yeah. for personal reasons. So, well, the the stars will align at some point in the near future. <laughs> right now, it just looks like you and Stuart hate each other. Like I know. You, just, you just won't pull, come online ah, together. I can't and, stand yeah. him. <laughs> him with his Star Trek references. Yeah. You want to talk about a Star Trek reference? Yes. So I, my mind instantly went to this because um, we're talking about euthanasia. We're talking about um, pulling the plug, uh, Benson, with his spouse in this case. But as soon as this was brought up as this um, moral conundrum that he had faced, which, which there's another moral conundrum we need to talk about, but um, where he decided to pull the plug, Thomas's family was against it. And so his fear is not so much Thomas. He's not afraid of Thomas. I think his greatest fear was that Thomas was still conscious because Thomas brings it up and says, I was still conscious, but it's not really him, you know. But um, his greatest fear is that he made this decision and it was the wrong decision because Thomas could have come back. And it just made me think of uh, Dr. McCoy's um, – uh, moral conundrum that he had faced in Star Trek five where, okay. So <laughs> about to get geeky, but Spock's half brother, stepbrother kind of thing. Cybok is able to oh, yeah. allow people to relive their greatest pain and make peace with it. And so for Spock, his greatest pain was that his father never accepted him. And for McCoy, his greatest pain was that he, he's a doctor and his father comes down with this incurable disease 
that he's in pain and he's not going to be able to be to be healed from it. Um, and so McCoy makes the choice to basically pull the plug for his father. And then not, not too long after that, they find a cure for this disease. And so here you have a man who's making a choice about his father, but you have a, a medical man, you know, a man whose job is to help people to heal, choosing death for his father and and that's just where my mind went here was was that same kind of conundrum, same kind of pain that comes from a situation like that. Uh, and so that was the Star Trek V reference that we don't reference five very much here, but it is part of canon. Yeah. Even, even though Gene Roddenberry didn't want it to be part of cat canon, so because that was Shatner's episode, that was Shatner helped write it. Shatner directed it at some points did feel like a parody of itself, but it also feels like an original series episode with questions about God and, and pain and, and all those kind of things. Yeah. Cause Kirk Cybok goes to Kirk and says, let me help you with your pain. And Kirk's like, no, I need my pain. My pain, pain is what makes us who we are. That very much is, is Kirk. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> totally. It's also a very human response. No, I need my pain. You know, compared to a Vulcan. Right. Oh, wait, wasn't Sidebock one of the few Vulcans that would actually he get embraced in touch emotion. with emotions? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but you're talking about needing our pain. I mean, pain is part of what shapes us into who we are. Um, but we also need to deal with our pain. I mean. Yes. The pain itself is not what makes us who we are. Our response to that pain is how we become. It's part of how we become who we are. Like, what do we do with that? And and who am I in this moment? Because in this in this early moment of my pain, it defines me in one way because it's so raw and, and fresh and it's right there. And maybe it's even constant and it won't go away. And then as you move away from that pain and re- start to recover from that pain and it's in the past, you're responding to it in a different way and you're learning from it and you know, you're, you're moving forward and then, then there's new pain that, that, that's there and, and then there's new healing as well. And so it's, it's this constant growth and that's what life is. You know, if there's not growth, there is not life. That's, yeah. that's one of the definitions of, of life is that it grows and that it, it thrives and it, and it heals. And, and when it stops doing that, it's dead. Or there's a life event and um, you have to adjust and whatever reason you have to adjust to that pain again and for whatever way. But then when you go through new pain yeah. that's you know maybe different, you're able to approach it in a new way and in, and hopefully in a better way, hopefully, because of how you handled earlier pain and how you yes. handled you know earlier hurt. And, wow, so we went from uh cat from outer space and black knight to uh to this. So let's um to let's, psychology, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about ley lines, huh? Okay. <laughs> so ley lines. Why not? <laughs> yeah. I, well, this is interesting. They're pulling this in. It's a pseudo, um, pseudoscience, I guess. I don't know. It's it's not real science. Uh, as soon as I say that, though, there there might be people who who think it is, but um, but it's it's a uh, these are it's a hypothetical s- science. I wouldn't even call it, go that far. I mean, this, it's a, it's energy lines. That connect places of significance. And so the reason that we have like the pyramids built where they are and the reason that they built Stonehenge where it is and the reason that they built certain temples where they are is because these are places where 
those are hubs of these ley lines where they cross each other. And, and so there, there's more power there. It's, it's spiritual energy. It might be, or it might be some kind of unknown energy, but these are these crisscrossing lines that go all the way around the world. So that's what they're looking at here was they were looking at these ley lines that Keller had brought up and said, Hey, every single one of these places that they show up, there's ley lines there, you know? And so that's where they're going to find this temple because it's on a ley line, which is on one of these energy lines that connects these places of, of spiritual significance or that connect these places of uh, mystical significance or connect these places of some sort of scientific energy significance. But that's where they're going. That's where the temple is that Izel takes Mac and Yo-Yo to is on a ley line. So Keller was right. Yes. Hashtag Keller was right. Hashtag what's his face was absolutely right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mine's a little more streamlined. I I think my hashtag is is probably more share worthy, but okay. Mine's funnier though. Yeah, sure, (laughs) sure. Yeah, Yeah, it's just, oh, that makes, I mean, the moment they introduced him, I was like, oh, he's, he's going to be dead in a few episodes. And I don't like that they brought him in just to create, I mean, clearly he was solely brought in just to die. It didn't work as well for him yeah. as it did for Davis. No. You know, so they, they did the same thing with both of these characters where they built them up to be some th- someone of significance so that when they died, they would ha- have a death with meaning that would mean something to us as viewers. But for Keller, it felt like he was just um, created for that purpose. And for Davis, we had a relationship with him, so to speak. Um, a viewer relationship, you know, a, a fan relationship, but not, uh, but, but it was, we know him and we know his backstory. And so there's a tragedy when he dies. Um, Keller's tragedy was that he died so that Yo-Yo could have something to do. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's the definition of refrigeration. All I know is that Keller was just this, and he was created to be an interloper. He was really. created to die. Yeah. Yeah. He was created to die and make uh, Yo-Yo feel something to motivate her and to give her, I don't know, a relationship to show that she's moved on from Mac, even though she hasn't. Yeah. Where, you know, with Davis, we went on lows and highs with him. Um, and, you know, he was in conflict with Piper and they were butting heads, but they also had this brother-sister relationship and um, – and he had you know, his wife back home. He had his child yeah. back home. Yeah. But we also had him for, four, for well, for six seasons technically. But <laughs> but we got well, to know him in season four. We got to know him in season yeah. five. And and now he wasn't here. in season two or three. No, that's why yeah. technically six seasons because he was in one episode for like three minutes with one line. Uh, he, was, it, he was a shadowy form in the background, and then Leo gave him an order, and he said, "Yes, sir." So. As he, he steps into focus, and and then stepped right back out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, anything else here about you know Benson and Flint, uh, Mac, Yo-Yo, Mac and Yo-Yo are getting along better. Seems like that they are. Yeah, they're things are things are happening there. They're patching things up. Well, where What's-His-Face came in between them, it seems like um, Izel has brought them back together, has given them a purpose to be back together and work together. 
and to put their differences aside for a moment. Um, which is nice because I actually do like I I do like them as a couple. I ship them. Yeah, not as know, much as Fitzsimmons, but I do ship them here in season four again. I, I mean, I keep bringing this up, but that's part of why it's really nice that I'm doing this with my kids. Is they they had this conflict then too, and you know, Mac, I have to do my job. We, you know, and and Yo Yo, well, I I'm not I'm not an agent right now, and so you know, why don't we get together? And he's like, no, I can't do that. And uh, there's this kind of yeah, there's there's this conflict there's this tension but it's, it's a conflict and tension that comes from them keeping themselves away from each other like mac is not letting himself be with her and she is in conflict with that because she wants to you know it's it's they're made for each other yeah literally yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> well that's one of the differences between real life and and tv is yeah, uh, when you say we're made for each other on TV, you are yes. literally made for each other. But in real life, you know, you may not be made for each other, but that's you, what building relationship is. And that's what yeah. working, you know, relationships take work. And, you know, you find you find that special someone and they're, they're going to be special forever. But you're also going to see that there's those parts that you're going to have to work through. And, and Mac and yeah. Yo-Yo, I guess they have those parts that they have to work through as well. Well, I, I mean, characters do grow together. together. In reality, people do grow together as a couple and or in relationship and in, in, in various types of relationships. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be romantic. Yeah. Well, and Mac and Yo-Yo, I mean, their their relationship is drawn here as a, I think, a fairly realistic romance. And, and mm-hmm. other than, you know, the body hopping uh, interdimensional alien that is causing them trouble. Um, but, you know, switch out body hopping interdimensional alien with having a hard time getting enough money to pay the mortgage. And you got a pretty yeah. realistic thing going on. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the people at the base. All right. This is the other plot, plot B. Or maybe A, I, I don't know. They're all trying to figure out how to find the Zephyr, and they're also trying to figure out how to fight Izel, and they're also trying to figure out who or what Sarge is. Uh, and that's the primary, I think, emotional through line here is that you've got May, who she believes there's some of Coulson in there. She really does, and she wants Sarge to remember those memories. And Daisy just wants to use Sarge's powers as a weapon. Let's just – Figure this out. We'll figure out how to use him to defeat Izel. Uh, Simmons and Daisy have a nice emotional, interesting conflict where Simmons wants Daisy to con- confront her feelings about Coulson and not run away from Coulson's death. Uh, Simmons brought up a really interesting idea of one of the reasons that Daisy went into space was to get away from Coulson's death. And, and and to put distance between her and having to deal with Coulson's death. Um, so Daisy goes in to the... I thought that was a low blow. Did you? I thought it was... Yeah. I thought it was an honest moment. I, I That's what it felt like to me. Like, this was Simmons saying, hey, I'm going to get real with you right now, and you don't have to like it, but you have to listen. Maybe it was, and maybe in real life you wouldn't want to be so blunt. I can't remember what I was watching recently where... 
this person just confronted. Uh, oh, I know it was my, my family's been watching uh, where call when calls the heart, which is some Hallmark TV show thing um, based on uh, my friend's mother-in-law's book series. Uh, oh, Jeanette, Jeanette cool. Oak is my friend's mother-in-law. But uh, anyway, um, she just comes in and it comes in the person who's the primary antagonist for the show and just says, you know what? I'm going to tell you this right now and you're going to listen. And that's probably usually not the best way to go about resolving conflict. But in TV, it works, you know, and that's what you have here with Simmons, where she's like, just jump right to this hard truth, harsh truth. But I did feel like, you know, if if this is true, is Daisy really running away from confronting her feelings about the loss of Coulson? And at what point does a friend step up and say, okay, this is what's going on and you got to stop running? Maybe that's why I reacted to it that way, because if someone said something like that to me in real life, I'd be like, oh, low blow, dude. No. Yeah, well, step back right now. And in real I don't life, want to be anywhere near you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. In real life, that, that kind of thing can cause someone to just shut you down and shut you off and and maybe even shut you out, you know, and, and like, OK, so our friendship's done, you know, because yeah. uh, and so you'd have to be more tactful and careful. In some for some people, there are other people who just need to be shaken out of their reverie or whatever. And this is, I think, a situation where Daisy needed to be shaken out. But then what does she do? She does not go in to Sarge and, and, you know, take this gentle way that may wants to take, but instead she pushes him with her powers and causes him to push back with his powers. And now he's used his powers. And so she can go after him now and uh, with a sword. <laughs> so, you know, usually swords are not a way to deal with emotional um, pain and, and, and grieving. Uh, but she's using a sword and she's going to go and get him with this sword. And, and this is where it gets interesting. He's like, do it. Kill me. If you kill me with a sword, it's going to show you. It's going to help you figure out how you can kill Izel. And then he calls her Sky. Do it, Sky. And she were can't you, now. <laughs> yeah. Were, were you convinced? By him? him? I don't think it is Coulson. This is a man with Coulson's memories. We've talked about this. Um, and, and there's these, these thought experiments that I've heard people talking about on, uh, was it stuff to blow your mind? They keep bringing up this thought experiment of the swamp monster, where it's basically taken up from Alan Moore's version of swamp thing, where swamp thing discovers he is not a man who was turned into a swamp monster. He is a swamp monster. Who's been given the imprinted memories of a man. So he has all the memories of Alec Holland and then finds out he's not actually really Alec Holland. And, it's, and you see this with robot things, too. We talked about this last episode mm -hmm. where, you, where you see things where robots are given memories. So they think that they're someone and and then they go. Sometimes it's done like even to to help with loss. So I create a robot who looks and acts and has the memories of my my daughter who passed away 10 years ago and and then throughout the course of that story the viewer and the robot start realizing something's wrong until the robot realizes i'm not actually a person i'm a robot or am i a person because i do have these memories and now i've had these new experiences that make me something else or someone else and here i think it's the same kind of thing here colson is not sarge 
Sarge is a copy of Coulson who then had his memory wiped away and, you know, has gone on and done these different things. But I think there's traces of Coulson and it's like a photocopy, you know, where the photocopy that comes out is not a perfect copy of what went in. There's, there's artifacts, you know, there's, there's, there's visual artifacts that are in there from the, the glass and our copy machine at work. If you use the automatic feeder, sometimes a speck of dirt will get on the bar that scans that paper as it goes over that bar. And if that speck of dirt is there, it leaves a line across the paper. And that's the kind of thing that happened here is Sarge is not Colson. He's a lot like Colson though. He has Colson's memories and the things that Colson did and the things that Colson remembered are going to be a legacy in this guy. So that's, that's how I look at it. I'm going to go back and rewatch Star Trek four again in very different eyes. <laughs> Cause think about it. That's, that's basically what they did to Spock at the end of uh, mm-hmm. Star Trek three. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were rebuilding his personality. They, they, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, they, they took, so he dropped off a copy of his soul in McCoy yeah. and then McCoy, <laughs> They, An odd choice. <laughs> and then they pulled that copy out of McCoy and reinserted it back into the resurrected body of Spock. I, th- I think that by the end, though, I mean, that's still him. I think that's part of his journey uh, is that in well, Star Trek six and in you know Star Trek 2009, you have this guy who is Spock. But you're right. I mean, oh. Yeah. Well, then again, with Star Trek and their teleportation system, I mean, to teleport somebody, you basically have to kill them and then reassemble them in the blink of an eye. Well, and uh, we, Stuart and I talked about the episode with Thomas Riker, where there was a transporter oh, yes, accident, no. you know, that created a double. And oh. so which one's the real one? Is it the one that was, you know, went back to his real life or, yeah. It's, it's one of those sci-fi things that... It doesn't happen in real life. It it just doesn't. But, yeah, it doesn't happen in real life. But sci-fi is a wonderful place where you can explore those th- those yeah. that that thought theory. Yeah. Well, and and by taking a look at these things happening in fiction, it does get you thinking through. Okay, so what makes me me? You know, yeah. as you're looking at this Sarge character, what makes him Sarge? What could make him Coulson? And what makes me me? Is it my experiences? Is it just electronic impulses? Is there a soul? I mean, these are all things that uh, science fiction is able to explore better than science. And they're also questions that spirituality dives into um, because it is something you cannot answer with science unless you want to say that science, the physical world is all that exists. Yeah. In which case, you you can probably say, okay, science is is the only way that we get all the answers. But and then sometimes science fiction inspires real science and technology to develop, which is how come we have things like tablets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I think that the um, the Apple the uh, iPad and um, the iPhone is based off of, if I rem- remember correctly, from one documentary hosted by William Shatner, that um, that technology was loosely based on technology used in Star Trek. 
or it was at least one of the influences. Well, yeah, because you also have things that, you know, well, tons of science fiction writers predicted. And I think in the prediction of these things, you yeah. also had them inspiring the things to happen. And so in that case, I mean, is that a self-fulfilling prophecy where they predicted something and because they made that prediction, someone else was inspired to create it? I don't know. But it's it's kind of cool that it happened and happens. So, OK, so Sky can't kill him, but they start to realize, wait a minute, these swords work on these this frequency and that's why it's able to kill the Shrike. And so what if we're able to find these different frequencies and that's how we can fight Izel and Quake can use powers and, and all these different things. And Benson tells them where they need to go. And in my notes, I put, they find Benson who tells them where to go. They find a way to fight Izel using different frequencies and they find a little spot in their heart for Sarge. But... <laughs> <laughs> Ben, this is not that Benson, okay? Um, this is a totally different Benson. <laughs> hey, uh, not even the so same So here's show. what I found kind of cool. Fitzsimmons and Deke. We didn't really talk about them that much. So the way... Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> the way they filmed Bobo Fitzsimmons and, and Deke. I at one point wondered, does, is Deke even there? Like, is this a I see dead people kind of thing where he's just a ghost and they don't even know he's there because they're talking. He tries to input into the conversation and they just ignore it. And it, it happened multiple times where it was filmed. This was an intentional thing to show them not really talking back with him, not accepting him into their conversation, not accepting him into their brainstorming until – He's able to like come up with this idea about, hey, frequencies, blah, blah, blah. And then he's accepted in the conversation. And OK, he's not dead. You know, he's not a ghost. He's not, you know, in a different dimension. But um, that's the moment I started liking him again. <laughs> you know why? Because they started liking him. Yes. <laughs> like, I, I think you were taking maybe your emotional cues from Fitz from Fitzsimmons. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which that's that's legitimate, actually. I mean, we've talked about this before maybe years ago though with Stargate where um, when Michael Shanks character left the show, the next season they brought in Parker Lewis can't lose. I can't remember the guy's name, Colin, I think uh, I can't remember his name. They bring him in and MacGyver does not accept him at all. And so the viewers also hated him and, and they really do think that part of why Viewers hated Colin Namek, something like that. Uh, the reason why the, they didn't accept him as a replacement for Michael Shanks was because Richard Dean Anderson's character did not like him and would mock him and insult him and would not accept him until the end of the season when it was too late. And so after season four or whatever it is, they got rid of him. He came back for Star Trek, Star, Stargate Universe for an episode, I think, but um, – but that was more of a, hey, callback time, fans, <laughs> because now you like him because you have time to let yourself. But um, I think there's a little bit of that going on here, Samantha, where characters you like and love, Fitz and Simmons, 
finally embraced him into the fold. And he had a good idea. And it wasn't annoying in that scene. (laughs) Yeah, tonight in this, um, as I was reviewing this episode, I kind of accidentally left because it's now on Netflix. You can watch these episodes on Netflix Netflix now. Um, As I was... I the, the episode ended I was doing something and I looked up and the episode con- and the next episode continued. And there's more of this kind of thing going on. Spoiler alert. But they handle it in an interesting way and I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you next week about it. Okay. All right. The, about the way it was written, but there's more that happens in this line. All right. Uh, Post credit. <laughs> I want to talk about it now, and I, I can't. <laughs> you have to wait. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Post credit is we see kind of a Chronicom Civil War, and is her name Altia? Altia? Altina? I can't remember. They killed off the. Female well, she gets killed. With, yeah. The one with the interesting shoes. She gets killed because she wants to recreate Chronicom Two, and they want to instead create Chronicom Three. On Earth, or something like that. Mm. Basically, you get the threat, the idea of they're going to destroy humans to make a world for themselves or something. But and set up next season's big bad. I'm I'm wondering if that's all that this is because <laughs> I shouldn't say that's all that this is. Um, but they have the opportunity to set this up because they know there's going to be another season. And they yeah. knew there was going to be another season. This oh, that was, was pretty. I think that was pretty clear to me back in episode three or four in this uh, in this season. Well, I thought it was going to be this season. I thought it was going to be a part of this season anyway, because Chronicom was a part of this whole Shrike thing, and so I could see it coming to uh, um, coming to a head together. These two plot lines coming together at the end of the season. I don't uh, know. Yeah. Remember, this is me making predictions that I have no idea what's happening, but. Yeah, I, uh, I shall not say more <laughs> before I do say more. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. That's this episode. That is this episode. Uh, you have anything you want to touch before talk about before we uh, close this one down? Uh, well, I would like to thank you. Thank everyone who's listening and everyone who down who has downloaded our podcast and enjoys our content. And I would especially like to thank Andrew, Jeffrey, Tassel, 084, Blessed Cheesemaker, and Dre, because they are our, our Patreon patrons. And without them, well, we could do the podcast. It's just we would. And we would have, do the podcast. Yeah, and we would do the podcast. But we wouldn't do it as as well. There'd be yes. other things. There'd be things that wouldn't work as well because of the support that they give us. Like Ben's computer. That being one of them. Although yes. it's not fixed yet. So Yeah. We'll see what happens. Or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> helping us to pay for the website. That definitely, yeah. 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 Just little yeah. things. Yeah. All right. Well, we do have one quick conversation to have after the credits. And that is to talk a little bit about, uh, as spoiler-free as possible, the extra scenes in Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, do you think you have the energy to, to do that, Samantha? Because oh. I know... I know you were yawning before the episode began, and, <laughs> um, but I did have a thought about what we could do 
just to continue on the conversation a little bit longer, even though it's getting a little bit late tonight, uh, maybe we could hyperstimulate our brains with some sort of chemical. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard us, now we'd love to hear from you. Go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback where you can contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling 177-55-LEVEL-7. You can also join the lively conversation going on at facebook.com slash welcometolevel7 or connect with us on Twitter where we're level7pod. And remember, the 7 is spelled out. Our theme music is The Light Fantastic by J.S. Earls. You can find that at transplant.bandcamp.com. Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. And once again, thanks for listening. Uh, and that chemical, <laughs> by the way, would be caffeine. How's that? Um, okay. I'm not. I'm not advocating drug use. So, although yeah. I guess by saying, uh, by advocating caffeine, I am advocating a form of drug use. Yeah. Um, so. Well, it's funny that they mentioned it because recently I had a really bad allergic reaction just to the late summer pollen season changing. Um, and um, I had to go get some uh, medicine that had pseudoephedrine in it. And I was told it was only supposed – the effects were only supposed to last for 12 hours. And no, it's more like 24 <laughs> for me. So, oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and that's part of the reason why I was missing the episodes because I wasn't sleeping so well. So. Well, let's talk about Spider-Man Fire Far From Home because Yeah, let's talk about something fun. Similar gimmick, uh but a completely completely different uh execution. Avengers Endgame. They did a, a quote-unquote re-release of the movie where to get people to come back into the theaters, see it again, help them cross the threshold to defeat uh Avatar as the highest grossing movie. Uh, they came back and said, Hey, we didn't have a post credit originally, but now we're going to have a missing scene that we cut and we're going to have a sneak preview of Spider-Man far from home. And we're going to have a tribute to Stan Lee from the filmmakers and actors from the MCU. So you're going to want to come back and see that. And the sneak preview sneak peek at far from home was the first bit of far from home where they were in um, Mexico and it was fury and Hill and they're talking about some stuff and things come up. Uh, the tribute to Stan Lee was just that a tribute to Stan Lee and the missing scene that they had cut was unfinished CGI of a Hulk action scene where I, I haven't seen this, so I don't know what it looked like, but what I've heard about what it looked like is that um, the mouth didn't even move uh, along with the words. Like the, they didn't even animate the mouth yet uh, on the character. I so believe really Stewart unfinished. saw it, didn't he? I'm not sure. Okay. But it was really unfinished. So Spider-Man Far From Home, it's, it, it makes a billion dollars. You know, like there's, there's money in the bank. Yeah. And for Labor Day weekend, they're like, let's make some more money. And 
they do the same thing. Hey, we're going to re-release, quote unquote, and we're going to put four minutes of added footage into this movie. And they did. And it's four minutes of actual scenes. Like full completed scenes? Full completed scenes inserted into the movie as part of the movie. Mm. I went and saw it. Took my kids. So I dropped down a fair amount of change to see these four extra minutes. Um, Here's what I have to say. I don't know what the home release is going to be like. I really hope. Disney Plus. Well, there's that too. But I really hope that the release of Far From Home is the cut that I saw in theaters the second time. Because what they added in, and I don't want to give away too much, but what they added in was all in like the first 10 minutes of the movie. And it was all stuff of Peter Parker around town that made me – there was stuff that was missing to me in Far From Home when I saw it because you saw Spider-Man Homecoming where he kind of grows into being a hero. And then in Endgame, he goes into space. And so he's friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, but the next adventure with him, the first time we see him, he's in Civil War in Europe. The second time we see him is Homecoming, which is him really just kind of coming into his own. It's not an origin story, but but it might as well be. The third time we see him, he goes to space. And then the fourth time we see him, he goes on a road trip to Europe. And we don't really. The fourth time we saw him, he was resurrected. Well, okay. So the fourth time we see him and he's he comes in in time to see Tony Stark die. (laughs) Yeah, he's suddenly starting to feel better. Okay, Yeah, you're right. The yeah. fifth time we see him, he goes to <laughs> Europe and we never really get to see him be Spider-Man just around town. And that's what we get here is we get not just to see him, but there's also conversations and dialogue where we get implications of this has been ongoing. And in the way that it was when it's first released, the only thing you really see him doing around town is at the, the special gala for Aunt May's thing for for people who are displaced by the blip and he's there as the local celebrity but in the new scenes you actually get to see him doing stuff as spider-man and it is worth seeing again that's how much i'm gonna that's as far as i'm gonna go i'm not gonna say it's worth seeing again in the theater i'm not gonna say it's worth spending 15 bucks to see this again in the theater but if you have disney plus and it's on disney plus which i don't know if it will be because it's sony You know, but if it's on Netflix, definitely worth watching again. And if it's a red box rental, definitely worth watching again. And if it's what goes on the DVD or Blu-ray release, definitely worth watching it again. It's it's worth it, it just it just they never should have taken that out of the movie. Those four minutes should never have been removed from the movie. I don't think it hurt the movie at all. I think it really helped it. Now I want to go see it again. Well, like I said, I'm not going to say you should go to the theater and see it again. But mm-hmm. if you got time, you got money, there's worse things you could do. Yeah. Do you remember the conversation we had after you initially told us about how um, in, in our in our Facebook chat about how 
you thought that the, these scenes made the movie better. Yeah. Um, we had a conversation about actually Disney taking scenes that were originally, because my thinking was at the time that this was originally part of the full cut. And then they saw the producers saw how successful the um, extra footage with Endgame was. And they're like, eh, let's take these few minutes out, save them for later and then re-release yeah. the movie with the scene inserted. I don't think they did that. I think that this was cut out because they, they thought let's cut to the chase. I think this was the kind of thinking of we the, these four minutes are keeping us from just getting into the story and getting into the moving into why are we going to Europe? You know, that kind of thing. I think it was cut out because they'd already also done a lot of stuff up front with the blip. So there's exposition with the blip and then there's exposition with Happy and May. And then there's a little bit of exposition about why are we even going to Europe in the first place? And it takes us a long while before we actually get to the place where the story is supposed to be taking us. I think it was cut for time. I think it was cut to streamline it. And I think it was a big mistake. It streamlined it, but in the wrong way. Um, because then they also talked about how these were scenes that were seen in the trailer. And when they were asked about that, they said, yeah, that's going to be an extra on the DVD. It's called Peter's checklist. And it's the things that Peter has to do before he can leave for Europe. And they were talking about it being like a one shot, like an actual little mini movie. Wrong mm. impulse. Uh, I think that that was the producer saying, we love this stuff, but we have to get rid of it. Uh, what can we do? And and so they do that. And then and then they see Endgame. And then the producers are like, wait a minute. Hey, studio executives, we have an idea to make more of that sweet, sweet buddy. OK, because that's how I feel it went down in my imagination. Because I'm thinking that they did this on purpose because years and years and years ago, when the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie was released, I remember seeing it in in the theater opening weekend with my best friend and i'm a i'm especially then i i'm a i'm a johnny depp fan i'm a big fan of his collaborations with tim burton um i also like a lot of his other movies like benny and june and when i saw it in the theater i remember there was a line where black jack sparrow mentions that he mentions mayonnaise made by the french and that Raisins are just hu humiliated grapes, which is a reference to Benny and June. Which is and a then fun, got, great movie, by the way. Yeah, it is. It's a really fun, sweet movie. Um, and, but when I got the DVD, that line was cut. And I was shocked. And then I went later to the deleted scenes, and all of a sudden that line is in the, in the deleted scenes. And I think that Disney purposefully took that out so that they could create more content for the extras. I so I'm wondering. I, I disagree, if, though, again, about that. I yeah. think that was taken out because they realized it was kind of dumb. <laughs> That's I my theory. <laughs> and I know that it was in the theater because I remember having a conversation with my best friend who went to go see it with me in the parking lot directly after the movie. And I told him that's a reference to Benny and June. So that really that line really stuck with me. Yeah, no, I. Yeah. Uh. I'm not sure how much stuff like that actually happens 
but in this case, I really feel like it was like we cut it for time. We cut it to get to the stuff that we wanted to really get to. And then we saw Endgame made a whole lot of money on that weekend. And we'll do the same thing. Labor Day weekend. It's a big movie weekend. And we'll get we'll get the whole Avery family to go and it'll be worth it because he has a big family and that's a lot of money. Okay. And and it happened. And and so now I'm just hoping that they don't release it as an extra, but they keep it in the movie because it really works well. My opinion. I mean, the, uh, there might be people who disagree with me. Um, but when I got done watching that movie the second time, I really did feel like it was better because of that, it, because it scratched the itch that I wanted to see of the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Uh, now I now I well, my local second run theater is is showing Spider-Man Far From Home right now. And now I'm wondering which version they're going to show. Yeah, I don't know. Huh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. They probably are showing the original cut that that I saw in the theater. I, I, I put my money on it. Yeah, I could put my $4 down and go see it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that right. is this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Samantha, for joining me. And welcome back. And we'll, uh, we'll see how things align for next episode if uh, we're going to get all three of us back together again. And then we'll sing the the we'll sing the big anthem from Muppets Take Manhattan together again. Yeah, Yeah, to be together again. I just can't believe that you ever been gone. It's not starting over. It's just moving on together again. But okay, sorry. I I need to learn the lyrics to to that. (laughs) Stuart, you have your homework. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Don't worry. We'll find a song we all know. (laughs) All right. Okay. (laughs) Talk to you later. Godspeed, everyone.